that's when you know it's about to be a banger pod because the song fades all the way out. <laughs> and I haven't I haven't hooked Breezy up with the uh, the proper file yet. What's up? This is the Section 109 podcast. It's been a really long time since uh, you've heard or seen me. Um, I have been super busy, like insanely busy, but the podcast is not dead. I promise we're just taking a break. Um, but we are here tonight with a really um, exciting episode. But Matt, I you have done a podcast while I haven't. Can you uh, let us in on that? Yeah, so I joined the the fine folks over at the 423 Soccer Pod for... Oh, fine, fine folks? Yeah, fine folks. Come on, man. They're good. They're good. Uh, for a uh, for a recap episode of the of the kind of the, the finish of the fall season, uh, the departure of coach Peter Fuller, sure. and then um, kind of some off-season speculation about what, what might happen. And one of those big questions was, who was going to be the new CFC head coach? Do, do we have an answer for that? You know what? We have an answer. Uh, and and folks will remember uh, from a couple matches this season, uh, it was the it was the Stumptown head coach, Rod Underwood. Uh, and we've got Rod on the show today. Hey, Rod. So, so glad you're here. Welcome in, boss. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Anytime. Super excited to have you here. Well, we've got some uh, questions. We've got a, a couple of things we do with all of our guests that we'll talk about. And then we'll have a couple of more miscellaneous questions. And then we also have some listener questions slash Breezy questions because Breezy is <laughs> not with us today. And But he has definitely a ton of questions that he wants us to ask, so he sent them in. So, Matt, why don't you get us started with the uh, the first topic? Yeah, let's just uh, let's throw a softball at you to start here. Uh, <laughs> so you, the head coaching position opens up. What uh, what made you interested in in coming to Chattanooga? Well, I mean, a lot of reasons, right? I mean, from from a non soccer side of it, I mean, in terms of if you if you were going to stay in the league, right, and you're going to coach in the league, yeah, you know, Chattanooga is, is has a great history. It's been around for a long time, not just in NISA, but what 10, 11, 12 years the club's been around. Uh, in various forms and various leagues. So that's also imp- inviting because you have that, you know, you know, the league, you know, the club is has a vision and trying to go somewhere and trying to do some things. And then, you know, also off the field, just the organization itself. We all understand their limits at division three in terms of finances and things, resources that you have. That's just all part of lower level soccer and anywhere in the world. Right. But what they try to do is they try to maximize those, uh, those resources to make it feel as professional of a club as possible. And that's also really important. And then on the, te- on the, on the, um, you know, on the technical side of, it, in terms of the actual football side of it, it's, you know, the team has had success. They've had quality players over the years. Uh, and it, you feel like it's a place that you can have success, right? Because I do believe that in sport, you know, you have the argument all the time, who's more important, the players or the organization? Obviously, the players are the commodity without the players on the field. Sure. There's no ticket sold, but the players can't go and run the front office, right? So it's a sense of that you have that support off the field that allows you to build something really special on the field. Okay. Wow. Great answer. Home yeah. run on his first. That was a softball, but he definitely <laughs> had a home run. All right. Uh, Rod, let's get to know you a little bit. Um, where, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Tell us a little bit about your, um, your, your life, your non-soccer pre-soccer, just who you are, who, who is Rod Underwood? Well, there's not much pre-soccer though. That's the only problem. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I grew up down the road from you guys down in Atlanta. I grew up in Atlanta. Oh, cool. Um, 
So I grew up in Atlanta, learned my soccer in Atlanta, born in New Orleans, right? Spent most of my life in the in the South, right? I went to Furman University. Um, but after college, I just sort of started traveling the world and following the ball and playing the game. And, um, you know, so like I said, I haven't, there's not much life before. I mean, I started playing soccer in 1972, right? As a little kid. So that leaves me about five or six, you know, about seven years, about seven years prior. <laughs> That's all. It's only seven years without soccer. <laughs> so, what, what drew you to the game? Uh, just a funky way, really. Uh, my neighbor was a friend of mine. His dad coached American football. And I was just at the age where I wanted to play sports, you know, wanted to play. But at that time, you have to weigh a certain amount. I was too little, couldn't play. The next day I show up in school, there's a, there's a sign up that says, play soccer. And I'm like, okay, I'll play <laughs> soccer. Never heard of it. And th- and there we go, right? And wow, rest is history. Today. I love that. That's yeah. that that alone kind of aligns with CFC and the, the grassroots mentality of like, you know, finding those, you know, finding those diamonds in the rough. So so what's soccer like nineteen seventy two? In Atlanta. In Atlanta. Yeah. Like h- how do you how do you get from there to playing at Furman? Yeah, I mean, really it was unique. My mom was my first coach, right? No one knew how Nobody knew the game, so basically my mom and her friend said, we'll coach the team. And we just went out and had fun and played soccer. And uh, then it just so happened, you know, probably about a, just really about a year later, we moved. And we moved to uh, DeKalb County, and we started playing at the YMCA. And there was a couple coaches there, a couple guys. I don't know how much soccer they knew, but they were great guys, right? I mean, if you need a ride to practice, they picked you up. If you needed anything they were there right they were just like quality guys and they were just guys that we had fun the team was fun I mean even today like one of the coach's sons you know we still connect on Facebook and talk through and this is years ago I mean this is you know 40 years ago that's awesome so um but I mean that was kind of the inspiration and what really changed was I had a chance to watch back in the old days, old NESL days, the Atlanta Chiefs. And just so happened, one of my coach, one of the guys who's going to be the coach, he worked for the Atlanta Chiefs, not as a technical side, but as a, I think he sold tickets or something, right? Sure. So he was able to go out and, you know, we'd have various Chiefs coach, Chiefs players come and coach us. And these, and that's really what kind of, what kind of really moved it forward. And, you know, it was a good athlete you know, always having opportunities to play. And then when I got to high school, I actually had a coach that was a real, was a real coach. And he really changed my life in the sense of learning the game, believing in me, trusting me. Um, and about 15 or 16, Furman University started calling and calling and calling. And a lot of other schools, Clemson was calling at the time, University of South Carolina. There were different schools calling. And to be fair, I didn't know enough, right? Furman called me the first, they were the first ones to call. I said, yes, that was, that's how it happened. You know, I went to go visit the school, you know, it was great school, fine school, but you know, that's how I, that's how I made it to Furman. So you, you know, it, and that's I, in Greenville, yeah. right? Then we're Furman. Yeah, Greenville, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's cool. That's a really cool place. I think we, we played a match there. We've played, at we played Greenville, Greenville FC at Furman, uh, yeah. I think in 2018. Now, uh, Rod, I, I, I think it's important for our listeners to note, uh, and I, you're being humble about this for a second here, but you're the first African American to play for Furman. Wow! In men's soccer, correct? Yeah. 
So. It's just, you know, look, again, it's not like someone asked me the other day. I don't really think about it. I just always been the guy, right, to do what I do and go where I go. And it never really mattered, like, what I looked like, what they looked like. I just know I wanted to play soccer. And I just wanted to play soccer. And to be fair, I went to I went to Furman to play soccer, not to get an education. I got an education in, in between all that. <laughs> what what did you, uh, what was your, your major at Furman? So my major was uh, physical education, um, so exercise science. So basically, basically, sure. it's basically what, we call it today exercise science yeah and sports science it's you know it's it's a very very similar program but at that time it's just called physical physical education that's awesome um, yeah well away away from physical education what was the the this your seasons and the culture around the soccer at Furman how, how was all that and what was your experience like well the experience was fantastic and I'll give you I mean I'll give you how fantastic it was where, where we are today, one of my friends, which we all, you know, we're on an email, all of us, because my, my year was the second year, 1985 was the second year of scholarship, soccer scholarships at Furman. Um, so all of us guys, we kind of, that era, that 80s era, early 90s, we all still stay in contact. That's cool. And so just two days ago, I get an email from one of the guys saying, hey, you guys want to go to London for watch a game? watch Crystal Palace because our friend who we played college with is assistant manager at Crystal Palace. Oh, that's so awesome. that's how that's, that's sort of the uniqueness of this group. Right. And, um, so yeah, I mean, it's just, it was like, I mean, going to firm and getting that education, meeting those people put my life on the path that it's on today. Wow. That's how important, that's how important that moment of that moment of four and a half, four years was. Wow. Uh, after, after college, after college at Furman, uh, you had a you had a playing career. Can you can you walk us through uh, your playing career before you moved on to the coaching side of things? Yeah, I mean it was it was like everybody else in my era, right? So we were we were coming out of the the NASL had just died, you know. Then there was the big indoor leagues, and then the USL, which was a USI still or some rendition in 1990. Um, started their first outdoor league and believe it or not in 1990 there was an east and a west and the east and the west i think between both team both leagues there must have been 30 teams wow. it was crazy i mean it was i mean literally i mean from west because i played in albuquerque so west coast there was teams in all along the west coast colorado you name it i mean and then they were everywhere and we you know, we played and we were terrible. I mean, all of, our, all of us were rookies. I think we finished last in the league that year in Albuquerque or somewhere near there. Um, and just continue playing, right? I, like anybody else, trying to trying to make a career out of it at that time, you you go wherever you can go and play in different places. So I ultimately played six years. But the whole time I was playing, um, I was coaching. I was learning how to coach. Um, was getting my coaching licenses and all those things while I was still playing. And, yeah. You know, after after some some great names that from the old days, I mean, the New Mexico Chiles, I played for the New Mexico Chiles. And after playing, I got a chance to coach that team right away. And I think and then we had another team called the Albuquerque Geckos. We won the championship USL Division three championship in 97 or 98, somewhere wow. in that range. Um, and then I was out of the game for a long time. So up until about two, I, I was in coaching to about 2000. And I was doing a lot of youth stuff, but I really wasn't in the pro game from about 2000 
to about 2000. Actually, I got into some scouting in about 2004, 2000, yeah, about 2004. One of the guys I was coaching with the club, he was a Dutch guy, and he's and he went he went on to take a job as a general manager at a club called Cambur, and he says, hey, you want to be the American scout? So I scouted for Cambur for about four or five years, uh, and then after that, um, literally, I was like. I've been out of the game coaching professionally, right? Coaching professional, but still coaching youth and doing a little bit of college stuff and doing the old, you know, the, the various things, ODP, all these various things. Sure. Um, and the Portland Timbers job came open in the USL. I sent my, my CV in. They said no, but the guy that hired me, the guy that got hired, Gavin Wilkinson, who's now still the president of soccer for the Timbers today, right? Wow. He hired me as his assistant. Uh, and so I went to Portland and really that, you know, from going to Portland and now sort of my modern from 2007 to 21, my modern professional has been, you know, coaching out of the country, you know, coaching at some of the most important clubs in, in the U.S., meaning Portland Timbers being involved with the Portland Timbers being involved with the Sacramento Republic, some of the biggest clubs and most important clubs in American soccer. So that's just been a blessing from a little boy that didn't know anything about soccer. My first cleats were football shoes and, you know, that kind of thing. So, and you've also coached in, in Jamaica, I think in Trinidad and Tobago uh, and yeah. Sierra Leone. Uh, yeah, those are, yeah. Can you can, just, can you talk about your, your experiences as managing in a, uh, in an international atmosphere compared to, uh, to compared to some of your, your U S work? Well, I mean, first off, I mean, it, you know, it's just a different world, right? So, you know, in Jamaica, for instance, right, to give you a story, you know, me and my family are going through the grocery store, getting some food, and some people notice who we are, and they say, hey, team didn't win last night. What are you going to do about it? You know, that's kind of the atmosphere, right? So, you you know, you it's just a different – it's the way of life. I mean – even in the smallest countries, football is the way of life. It's the culture. It's embedded. It's ingrained. And everybody talks it. Everybody lives it. You know, they support their teams. And it's just, it's just life result, right? Life result revolves around football in so many, so many countries. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned, you mentioned your family. Uh, can you, That's can true. you, yeah. Can you, uh, share uh, your your I think you've got a wife and a, and a few kids yeah yeah uh, my oldest believe it or not is 28 years old uh, she doesn't live far from us up in Seattle and uh, I have young kids too uh, I have twins that are nine and a boy that's 14 and then my wife and I'll be married 16 years in a couple of days wow hey, congratulations yeah. please uh please pass yeah. along the congratulations from us to her yeah, please do uh, that. and congratulations to yourself um, I think this is a good this is a good uh, place, Jay, to to transition a little bit uh, to a couple of uh, maybe a little bit quicker questions. Uh, did you have a favorite soccer player when you were growing up? Someone that you that you emu- wanted to emulate or, or an idol or or something like that? Yeah, I had a few. Right, I had a few. I had Giorgio Canalia. He was a striker for the New York Cosmos, and obviously, all of us like Pelé. I love. I loved uh, Diego Maradona, Brian Kidd. Uh, Brian Kidd was like a uh, was really a, an important important striker. I was a striker, and 
Uh, I really enjoyed watching Brian Kidd, Gerd Mueller. You could, I mean, I, there was just a lot of them, right? Yeah. But Pelé was Pelé and Diego were probably the two that were just like the guys, right? They really dominated. I love Putini. You know, I loved, loved, loved Putini. My friend, my friend growing up, we had two trees in the backyard, right? That were just about the size of a goal. And we would, you know, he would be the goalkeeper for a while. I'd be the goalkeeper for a while. And we just imitate, imitate uh, all these uh, different, different players. Hey, Matt and I still do that. <laughs> I don't, I don't do this anymore <laughs> to be clear. Um, what, uh, what, sorry, I wanted to interrupt okay, for a second. Ahead. What number did you wear when you were playing? And is it based on any one of any one of those guys you mentioned? Yeah, nice. Um, not really. I mean, I, I wore eight, nine, 11. When I went to college, I wore 23, which is kind of a funky number, but being a freshman, you get to pick your number. Right. And so I had a good college career. So from, from college all the way through professional, always wore 23 and nobody wanted it anyway at that time. So <laughs> You you could have just said Michael Jordan and you'd had me right yeah. on board. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So here, uh, one of, one of my favorite things is seeing the way different managers kind of wear their emotions on their sleeves or in the way that they dress and how they you know carry themselves. I think it's just like mental. When I think about the game, I love the mental aspect from like every angle. Do you uh like what kind of what's your sideline apparel and how do you carry yourself on game day? Are you more of like a track suit, happy, say hey to everybody? Are you a a business suit, straight minded, straight to the bench and ready <laughs> to go at the game? What's your uh, what's what's your style like? I'm always friendly, right? I mean, I come from an era, right, where we had to be ambassadors of the game, right? And I think it's real important to connect connect with the community, connect with the fans. So I I always have time to be to be nice and to be cordial and say hello and really that's always the case but awesome. attire right um it depends right depends on the game something like to never never beyond i would say business casual it's always it never goes beyond business casual uh i listeners uh we've had i had a plenty of chances to to observe coach underwood when he was coaching for Stumptown this past year uh including a bunch of games in the legends cup you seem to be also uh, pretty, pretty. Uh, uh, you're more likely to wear jeans, I feel like, which is something that Coach Fuller did as well uh, during during stretches. Is this a? Uh, is this? Will you say that's your main staple? Yeah, I mean, I would say probably. I'm gonna play this probably one of my main staples, but this it's funny because <clears throat> I wore the jeans in the in the spring. I don't wear them at all in the fall because we were told that jeans were not allowed on the sideline. I'm like, okay, <laughs> jeans. So I, so I didn't wear them, but if they're going to be back, yeah, I'll wear them. <laughs> okay. Okay. This, these are the, these are the types of, uh, of, you know, super deep analytical questions we ask here on the section 109 podcast. <laughs> yep. Uh, we, we talked about your position uh, and you said striker, but uh, you know, if you could, if you could go back and redo it and you couldn't choose striker, uh, what would you, what do you think you would choose? Probably a midfield midfielder, yeah. Probably. I feel, a midfielder. I feel like most managers would have the mindset now after playing days to, to choose that that midfield role. Yeah, yeah, no, no question. We can't move now, but we can. We, we can <laughs> <think> still. <laughs> that's that's good. Uh, do you have a Do you have a favorite soccer coach uh, that's that's currently coaching today, and why? If yeah, so, I mean Pep Guardiola is my guy. He's he's my guy. He's he's like, you know, my. The, the fundamental way I coach is based on Johan Cruyff. 
That's the fundamental what I believe. So everything that's come from Johan Cruyff, it's Bielsa, it's you know every if you look at if you look at every single team, even even what Leipzig does, these teams that you know, even what Liverpool does, you know, even what Atlante, you can go to all the different leagues. It's it's the possession football starts with Johan Cruyff and Renus Mikkels, who actually was taught Johan Cruyff. So, but Pep Guardiola is my guy. His his style, his way. Bielsa's right up there. Bielsa's probably one A. Yeah, those those are my guys. Okay. So you know. it's funny you mentioned Leipzig because I'm pretty sure Leipzig beat Guardiola yesterday. Yes, not to, not to date yesterday. the pod, but <laughs> I, I, I watched same here. yesterday. Same I here. watched. I watched. Uh, it's uh, yeah. it's been the Bernardo show recently. It's been really awesome. Yes. So yeah. uh, let's we're gonna, let's put a pen in, in soccer I, questions. I, yeah, I want to come back to to soccer and to tactics uh, later. But let's uh, let's get to know you. Miss some miscellaneous, some well, ra- some random questions. Yeah. Let's do let's let's change it up a little bit. Why don't you take it away? So, uh, first impressions of Chattanooga. Have you been here before the Legends Cup? Uh, and and what was that experience like? Um, uh, and and what do you know about the city so far? Yeah, I mean, I had been there before. Obviously, growing up in Atlanta, we'd come up through and Lookout Mountain and, and different things like that. And when when I was told the tournament was going to be in Chattanooga, I'm like, oh, man, Chattanooga. No, I don't want to go to Chattanooga. <laughs> I just remember what it was like as a kid, right? Sure, yeah. And, and literally coming and spending, I don't know, we're probably there 10 days or so. And, you know, being in downtown, staying at the Marriott right there by the stadium, I walked everywhere. I walked everywhere, saw the town, great restaurants. I mean, the vibe is the vibe is really, really cool in Chattanooga. Uh, really, really cool. Really cool. I really, I really like the city. Some of us are fortunate to, and me, Matt knows a little bit of it, but me, I'm a transplant. So I never knew that side. I've only known nor- the north side of beautiful Chattanooga. I never knew like the industrial uh, parts of it or the way it used to be. Another really random uh, miscellaneous question that is kind of controversial here. Uh, how do you drink your coffee? Or do you drink coffee? I drink coffee... Like, here's the catch, right? I love espresso. Okay. I love espresso. I can't handle caffeine, so I drink decaf espresso. <laughs> Holy hell. <laughs> I, like the, I like the taste of espresso, right? But I can't handle the caffeine. Wow. Wow. That would, that would, I, would, I would drink uh, all bad things Red Bull if I could, because that's how I am with Red Bull. I don't care about the energy. I literally love the way it tastes. It's, that's, uh, most that's, people think I'm a psychopath. That is psychotic behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Speaking uh, of psychotic behavior. Yeah. Let's move. Let's move to our our actual most controversial question on this podcast. How do you feel about pineapple on pizza? It's my wife's favorite, so I love it. Let's go. (laughs) Let's go. That's a that that is the most controversial one here, and I say this every time. So right on cue. We need to look up who's winning that, but we never were. We we Will. never we never actually looked that up. But also, I want to I want to point out that he, he kind of couches that answer a little bit there. Yeah, but it's still one. <laughs> in, it's it's one in the W column for the pineapple on pizza people. Um, um, what are your thoughts on on seltzer versus beer? Actually, I'm not an alcohol drinker at all. Wow. Okay. Not at all. Yeah. Well, yeah. that question doesn't matter then. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, so are are you? Uh, what what is your what is your drink of choice then? If you're like if you're just out like socializing with friends, uh, what would you what would you order somewhere? No water. I'm usually, I'm usually water. I drink tons of water, but I do like uh, any kind of uh, carbonated waters or any kind of you know. And 
I love I love tonic water, like tonic water with a lime. I love that. Okay. Uh, I, I, that's that's like a I, I love that taste. Nice. Okay. Interesting. That's hilarious. That's exactly how my wife is. She won't drink Coke or anything like that. Um, but she will put down beers. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> when you're uh, when you're working out, what do you listen to? Is it music? Is it podcast? Is, is there anything that you like to to partake all the, in? All of the above. Cool. So all you the above. so you, you are listening to something when you work out because we have a theory yeah. here that the only people and this comes from a former player who was on our podcast, sort of an inside joke, but only people who if, if you work out and you don't listen to anything then you're 100% certified psychopath. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was the agreement we came ba- to. I mean, basically. So we just want to make certain, sure. At a certain point in your life, because like I used to like run a ton. Like I ran cross-country and track. So you're, well, like, you're a psychopath. Old, so. Yeah, and I was a psychopath <laughs> in those days for sure. Now I, well, could, you couldn't, I couldn't cause do Well, you couldn't because your CD player would skip if you were running. <laughs> There's no way you could do that. You'd have to have like yeah. a, a radio, you know. Now we're just dating me. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> Do you uh, have do you have any soccer superstitions? Something you no. have to do on game day, something you have to do nothing no. at all. Now as a player, I wore the same socks until they wore out. But other than that, but now I don't have any at, at all. Okay. But that was more that they was that cuz they were I mean, I was about to ask if that was cuz maybe they were broken in, but you don't you don't really break in socks, do you? I'm going to save myself from sounding dumb even though I literally <laughs> made myself sound dumb. Do you have a favorite pre-game meal? Um, that can be managing, or you can go back to your playing days. I think would be more of uh, sure. the you know the right answer. Not really, no. I mean, not 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 really. I mean, I was a guy that I need to eat and almost need to be on the my stomach needs to be almost empty yep. to play. Yep. And then you know maybe halfway through eat a bar or something like that. But generally speaking, I would I need to be on the side closer to empty than full. So it really didn't matter. Interesting. What about post game? Post game all depends on how how I mean after the adrenaline wears off I get really hungry so at that point I have to be careful and not just drive to the Wendy's and go to the drive through and get <laughs> that's some my crazy that's food, my right? go to all right all right let's uh let's go more to a, a non soccer uh, space here do you have any hidden talents Uh, I don't think so. I don't. I don't. Okay. No, not really. So, uh, so, so, what, what would you, what do you do in your free time if you're not thinking about soccer and you can't think about soccer? Um, I read, read a ton. Nice. Um, I read. Uh, I write. I used to write quite a bit. I used to write quite a bit. I don't write as much as I used to. Um, but yeah, I used to write, write quite a bit. Is that and, sort of, is uh, that like an, like an internal thing, like more of a, more of a self reflection kind of writing or did you write like any, yeah, any like yeah, sort of project yeah. or anything? Gotcha. Yeah. Um, just, just writing, just writing to write. I, you know, just, um, just, just enjoy it. I, I mean, I, I write, I have a journal I write in every day. So I write, awesome. I, I still, I mean, I write every day in a journal. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, do you have a, a favorite non-soccer sport? basketball awesome are you are you a hawks fan by chance uh i'm not the sad thing is i'm not really an atlanta actually Braves, dude it's it's not it's not sad it's not sad trust me i i I was a uh i'm a Braves fan myself but for the rest of atlanta i was born in uh, west paces ferry i'm i was born in atlanta i grew up in nashville but i all my sports are pretty much in georgia and uh don't worry 
you're like when it comes to basketball and football and everything else, you're you're just less stressed. But baseball is nice. <laughs> yeah. I, went, yeah. I actually went to Game Five of the World Series. It was incredible. We lost. Oh, yeah, that's but cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was it yeah, was that, really that was awesome. Cool because I was like, I had I had come down to see my dad because my dad lives now out and he lives in Marietta. Gotcha. So not far not far from the stadium. Sure. Yeah. 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 Not far from the stadium. So I was like, if they make it, if they make if they make it to the you know to the World Series, I'll, I'll take my dad to the game because he's just like die hard. That's die awesome. Hard diehard Braves fan i mean we used to go to the games right i used to go to the games when dale murphy played so it tells you how long ago and we could sit behind home plate for a few bucks that's how bad the Braves <laughs> were losing 100 games right <laughs> but that was at uh fulton county right fulton yeah, county, fulton be county yeah, before, yeah. before yeah. 96 when they built uh, uh turner for the olympics yeah. anyways let's not go down I, baseball i could talk yeah, yeah, yeah. I, okay one thing i will say is my wife is so awesome that she there's a lockout so we don't know what's happening but for my christmas right. present and i accidentally found out she got us opening day tickets so wow. we can watch the pennant in the ring ceremony oh, that's cool. oh, yes. i'm yeah. so i'm that's fantastic I'm, I'm slightly freaking out so anyways so, away from baseball sorry <laughs> do you uh you said basketball is your favorite non-soccer sport do you have any favorite teams and i'll we'll let we'll let soccer be included in this uh, but do you have any favorite like soccer team and then a favorite non-soccer team that you that you try to follow as much as possible I mean, I, I, I'm a soccer person that anybody that plays possession, proactive, aggressive football, I like. But, I mean, Barcelona, I was a fan of Barcelona before anybody in America knew who Barcelona was, right? Nice. Um, and I like, uh, I liked, I, I'm still a fan of Arsenal, but it's just a struggle. <laughs> but, um uh, I really enjoyed them when Wenger was there, and that's really that was another guy really inspirational in, in my coaching, and from the for yeah, him sure. more the philosophical side of absolutely it, the cycle of how to deal with players all that all that that was really important, but you know other clubs around the world. I mean, uh, I'm a Cruz Azul fan from Mexico City, so I like Cruz Azul. Um, I like um, I like Atlante from from the italian league i go on and on different leagues so i, I kind of have teams in every league you know awesome. okay yeah um, and i'm only i'm not a man city fan i'm a pep fan so wherever pep goes next that's what i'm gonna like that's gonna just kind of my yeah that's what i'm gonna watch right um basketball couple i mean san antonio even though they're not very good now um but again it's from the coaching aspect of i'm a it. huge fan of popovich myself yeah the i read his book the leadership yeah um and obviously i like what golden state does today because of the leadership and because they play basketball that's really similar to soccer in a lot of ways right the movement mm -hmm. um i really like the i like the warriors obviously few of us couldn't grow up at the age of where without being a bulls fan or at least like the bulls right yeah so, and it's nice to see them coming back and i just i mean i just like basketball i like the nba in general i mean in general and um it's pretty exciting. I mean, it has its ups and its downs, but you know, those are kind of my teams. Again, it's like any team that plays as a team. That's what I like. Okay. Well, well, while you're in town, uh, we'll have to go to we'll have to get you to go to a Mox game. Uh, you know, the local UTC, their basketball team here this year is is quite good and has some real talent on it, and they've been really fun to cool, watch. Yeah. And I, I bet they play a style of ball that you'd like. They've got some bigger transfers and some really good guys who are fitting right in in the SoCon. They're seven and one right now. So, yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I, you know, obviously been at Furman's Furman's in the Southern conference. Too, <laughs> right. and they've, had sure. a, they've had some big wins. They had a couple big wins this year. Yeah. Furman has. So 
That's yeah. a that's a, we're gonna have to have you back for another podcast. I mean, we've already planned on it, but I'd like <laughs> I'd like to talk about so just get your opinion later about SoCon soccer and 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 where yeah. we are as a, as a university because I graduated from UTC. But we'll okay. we'll get away from the non soccer sport part, and we want to know if you have a favorite uh, Netflix or TV show or anything like that that you you might binge. <laughs> yeah, me and my wife we watch bad TV. <laughs> nice same <laughs> that's what we do we watch bad tv one of our favorite shows is i think it's on a and e or tlc or something like that but it's called 90 day fiance okay of course okay. yeah, yeah. My, my, and we're just like we oh gosh I, i'm embarrassed to say it but we watch it <laughs> uh is that a, is that a part you want us to edit out no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, we're, we're leaving. We're leaving that one in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's our, that's the show we watch. I mean, like when I'm away, right? We neither one of us watch when I'm away, and she just records. And when I come home, we watch it all and try to get caught up. That's everything. awesome. But another one that we really like is Amazing Race. The Amazing Race, where they, where they, that one's a. I've tried to get her to go on, but she's like, no chance am I going with you. <laughs> if rich. there was, if there was a movie made about your life, who would you want to play you? That's a good one. Probably, probably Lawrence Fishburne. Probably. Lawrence okay. Fishburne. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I yeah. just think he's, I, well, I, I like, I like the fact that he is kind of self-taught, um, came up in a hard way and uh, had to make his way in the industry. And I love him in the matrix too. So of course, <laughs> Okay, let's uh, let's let's get out of let's get out of the uh, the, the kind of miscellaneous sure. uh, non soccer world. You've talked a bunch of times now about uh, the influence of Pep Guardiola, uh, uh, Cruyff, all these you know BLS, all these managers, and what it basically comes down to. Uh, and we're we're kind of stealing this for the listeners from your website, uh, which you need to update. By the way, uh, you coach yes. a, you coach a different team now. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, but you, you have a personal statement that I want to read for everybody. Uh, and then we can talk about at the very end of it, the, the kind of tactical mentality that you, that you have subscribed to, uh, the personal statement says the opportunity to create a culture of winning within an organization is what drives me as a coach and director daily interaction with players and staff to build trust and earn respect as a leader. is a crucial part of that culture in the development of a squad and its players, Trust is a key component to success. As trust is built, players will come to accept and respect leadership and work to strengthen the club culture of, of winning both on and off the field. My goal is to build a proactive team that is attack-minded, well-organized defensively, and dominant on both sides of the ball. The technical approach combined with the winning mentality ingrained in the club culture leads to long-term success to which I strive. So that being said, we have we have some questions for you uh, related to tactics and, and and some things like that, uh, and we'll we'll have the first two coming from breezy uh, coming from from breezy uh, who uh, is in Brazil right now, uh, home kind of is a beautiful game, and uh, and and he goes, you've got a pretty clear tactical philosophy outlined on your website uh, and in interviews, which is great and awesome. He goes, if someone said. Pep's never done it with a small budget. You need to be the most talented team in the league uh, to play how he does. How do you respond to that? Do you think it's a fair question? Uh, 
when you are a little bit smaller of a budget, do you have to add in some pragmatism? Uh, or, or how do you see the juxtaposition between pragmatism and idealism? Uh, that is kind of Pep's play. That's a, that's a good question. I, I, I will say this. You need a striker. You need a guy that can score goals, right, in that system, right? Because you do kind of leave yourself open a little bit. You do it's – it's not the what people miss. It's not the it's, – it's the reaction time that – what is the difference, right? So, in other words, you're, you're on top of the game. You're keeping the ball. You're pressing. You're, you really have the team pinned in. So your brain naturally goes to this comfortable position that you're in control. That's the, that's the mental out. You're in control of it. Then on ball loss, if you don't react instantly, then the other team can immediately get the leg up because most of the teams are going to try to counter and play a, a longer ball. So where people get it wrong is, is that if you can, if you can play consistently in that reactionary period of when you lose the ball, how quickly can you win it back? And when you win it back, how quickly can you put the other team under pressure and get and gain control of the game? So you don't necessarily have to be a pragmatist, but if you can control that, have a good grasp of that reactionary period of, or transition period for, for what, what, you know, common day language would say is, if you can control that transition period, you don't need to be a pragmatist, but that's very difficult. Every, every squad, right? Every squad, let's, let's be honest, Football, soccer is very, 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 even, you know, even at the lowest levels of professional first division, you can go to first division clubs anywhere in the world, go from top to bottom. There's money in all these teams. There's money in all these teams, right? And what people forget too is, right, you have to go back to laws that were changed going back years ago to the Bozeman law where people could, could players for work, you could cross the borders for no restriction, right? There was no limits limits to that. So what you took was is you just increased the player pool. So now the player pool is so big that teams can find players to fit what they want to do. That's in the Europe, that's in the European model. And because those borders, they were able to seep into Africa, they were able to seep into Brazil and Argentina, where these countries uh where Ghana, for instance, one of the most outside of Argentina and Brazil, it's right up there is exporting the most number of players out of the country to play professional football in the world. So we can, without knowing the history and without knowing what the pool is and knowing what is to say to be pragmatist, I can't say you, do you, you need money to build a team and you need money relative to what everyone else in your, in your division is. So for us, it's like us, our, our budget needs to be relative, doesn't be the biggest, can't be the smallest, but it has to be relative to make you competitive to find the right kinds of players to do what you want. Okay. I think it's a, I think it's a good answer. That's a great answer. Um, you mentioned, uh, you, you mentioned the, the kind of the transitory period where you've, you've lost the ball and you're trying to win it back. There are situations where you're just not going to win it back. And if you don't, you're screwed because everyone's so far forward, especially uh, yep. given the counterattacking nature of some teams in lower division soccer. Uh, so my question is, do you subscribe to fouling is winning? I never tell a player to foul. I never, never tell a player to foul. What I say is you play as hard as you can, try to win the ball, 
and the chips fall where they may. You, you just say, you just made a bunch of people happy. <laughs> that seems to be Matt's motto. Fouling is winning is actually my motto. Uh, I it think really if is. You, if you look at all the good teams, I think you look at Pep's teams, you look at Pochettino's teams when he was at Spurs, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. when they when they were all definitely overachieving for stretches. Yeah. Those teams knew you try to win the ball, and sometimes you just miss. Uh, yes. But you have to take moments to kill off. You have to you have, you have to allow uh, smaller percentage chances of free kicks and, and things, as opposed to larger percentage chances uh, on the defensive end, like a break. Instead of what, that like free a break. Kick. I mean, it's why it's why players take yellow cards in, at midfield sometimes because they have to. Uh, or uh, that what was the uh, <clears throat> the Real Madrid player that took out that Atletico player and then they ended up winning the game. Oh yeah, did, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> That was a <laughs> yeah. like that, and that, that was very uh, specific. Sorry, I just I just had to throw in. I had to throw in. Uh, I figured con- you were going to slip it in there somewhere. Con- I just continued couldn't. advocacy for fouling is winning. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll move on here. Uh, so this is another breezy question, and uh, it's a it's an interesting one, and <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna read it straight up so that you can blame him later. Uh, he says your Stumptown team in the fall had the third best defense in the league. Uh, in terms of goals, uh, goals against for the for the season, but the worst offense in the league, and it wasn't really even that close. Uh, and I think if CFC fans will remember, uh, especially especially the the away game we played at the very end of the season, where Stumpdown had it was something like eighty, I, probably wasn't eighty percent possession, but it felt like a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and but only created you know roughly the same amount of chances for either team in a game that that we won. Uh, with a with a, a known goal, uh, thanks to Damian Rodriguez eviscerating someone and crossing a ball in. Uh, <laughs> uh, but here's an interesting thing: even with the the third best defense and, and the the worst offense, in the top four of the teams that finished in the top four, you beat Detroit in Detroit, uh, you beat Cal United, you beat New Amsterdam twice. Although I'm only giving credit for one of those. Yep. Uh, yeah, because, you know, right? <laughs> because we you had three shots in the game and two of them went in. It was Lars Gerard in goal. So you're not getting credit for one of those wins. No. <laughs> but you did draw LA Force twice. So we were, so your team, even with the inability to score, was able to to get results against teams, you know, above above we'll say it's just CFC in the table. In the top tier of the league. In the top tier of the league. Yeah. What was so my his question, and I'm kind of taking over this kind of question. There were a lot of points dropped against teams in the bottom of the table. Why? Why do you think that was? Because uh, that's kind of a, a weird, a weird difference there. Yeah. So yeah, super. And here, here's here's even uh, here's even a greater thing that you will. This this will be even something that'll be very intriguing to you. Is and of all of our training sessions coming from the spring through the fall. If we did five training sessions working on defense, I'm overstating it. <laughs> and we still had the third best goals against in the league. Wow. I mean, it makes sense. If you, we, if you never lose the ball, you don't have to worry about right. having That's chances right. given up against yeah. you. But for us, right, look, we, we didn't have a recognized striker. The guy that played up top, Travis Ward. He's a winger. We signed, we signed him as a right back and a left back. <laughs> But we did okay there, and then we need to help in the midfield in the spring. So we moved in the midfield. The guy scored, I think, two goals, three goals, and got two or three assists, right? Yeah. And then we were desperate up front, 
And all the guys that we signed, he was the best guy. So we played with a guy never played striker as our striker. And the chances that we, if you go back and you look at the chances that we did, we create, because what we did too, we did expected goals, right? Yeah. We have a, we had a, we had an expected goals model that we followed. And I think, I think Stumptown scored 13, 14 goals in the season, right? 13 in the fall. Our expected, our expected goals was only about 18. So about four or five more, but four or five more, when you look at the games that we played and the one nil losses or the zero zeros where we control the game, or even taking the, the Chattanooga game, right? Yep. If we score those five more goals, we finish in the top four. Yep. Soccer is a weird game sometimes. It yeah. is a weird game, especially when you break it yeah. down statistically. Yeah. yeah. It's so funny but, how... But, but do we want us? But do I want Chattanooga to score 35, 40, 50 goals? Yes. I want, I want, <laughs> there you go. You know, and that's, that's I mean, look, I don't, I, what I do realize is that because of the way the game is changing, because the game has become fast and athletic and the counterattacking game is more and teams are willing to play more directly, you have to also be aware of that. But on the end, we all know that game goals change games. Yep, absolutely. If you score the goals in the moments that you needed to put the team to mentally break the team, they don't get goals. And it leads to you getting more goals or more chances. So the key is being able to score in the moments that you need to score to not give the other team life and hope. Because once you give the team hope, you created a you created a real serious competition. Okay. So that's you you basically just answered the question that I hadn't actually ended up asking yet. Uh, which was what should fans expect to see from uh, a a Rod Underwood coached CFC team? But I think that was the answer. I mean, that's the answer. You're looking yeah. for ball yeah. ball dominant, yeah. you know, yeah. and then and then backbreaking. Yeah, yeah. I want to be I just want to be relentless. You know, I want to be relentless and just never, never give the other team hope. Never let them think they have a chance to play. I could run through a brick wall right now. I love that. <laughs> that's awesome. That's that's the way I try to play, but I t- get too tired too fast. So let's uh, let's move on to an, another listener question here. Uh, this comes from Jonathan Hunter, a good friend of the pod. Who, in your opinion, was the most valuable player? Uh, and I'm going to say in the league last season. We'll start there. There are a couple more of these. Most valuable player. It's easy to say Nuno at Cal, right? Because if you look at the number of goals Cal did give up, they gave him enough goals not to finish in the in the top half. But I think they scored 20-something goals, and he's got 12 of those goals. So it's easy to say that, right? It's easy to, it's easy to point him as the potentially the player just because of when you look at how many goals they gave up and then how many goals they scored – that that leads to his importance was was really very good. I think there's other guys though too. I mean, I think um, I think guys from Stumptown, you know, Kevin Gonzalez, the goalkeeper was was instrumental. He didn't have to make a lot of saves, but when he had to come up, he had to come up big. He didn't. If you look at the number of shots we gave up, they were minimal, but the shots we did give up, they were quite good. <laughs> uh, so you know, and then you look at. Um, you can't forget about Malongo at at uh, New Amsterdam. The guy up front scored nine goals. You can't forget about him. Um, 
I can't remember, but there was one of the center backs at Maryland who really, when he was out of the game, he was, he was, their team was, was really different. Uh, was it, know. was it Jake Dangler? Yeah, Jake. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Their team was really different when he was out of the game. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, it's a lot of, it's a lot of guys. I mean, I mean, you, you can even say, you, you can even say Tate, you know, you know, Tate Robertson, because he played multiple positions, right. For, for Chattanooga, you know, you could look at guys on Detroit. I mean, you could say Maxi. You could say they're both their center backs, right? You know, you could you could say it's just hard to say one one guy is the MVP just because of the league that yeah. we're, kind of the league that we're in. Yeah. Uh, so you you mentioned Tate, uh, and there was a CFC question, uh, kind of as, as a relation to that. You've played against us three times uh, in calendar year twenty twenty one. Who do you think? Uh, was the the best player uh, or maybe most important or, or, or whatever, however you want to define that uh, for you? Who was or maybe even the toughest player to play against? You no, know, I think probably the most consistent player was probably Richard. Richard was probably the, probably the most consistent player because he played in the back and then he played in the midfield. And you know, when he played in the midfield, he'd mark our guy that he would mark Stumptown's guy that was you know, being the most dangerous at the time and he would change the game and we'd have to make an adjustment. We always had to make an adjustment to him. Right. I thought that, um, Jones was, Jones was always very dangerous when he was in the field. You know, um, I thought he was, um, Brett was, was, was very dangerous. Um, guys had a lot, I think also too, in the spring goalkeeping was a, was a big deal. We had some really good opportunities and goalkeeper came up with some really big saves. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you mentioned a couple players. Obviously, the uh, it's the offseason, so so player shifts are starting to happen. Options get picked up. You know, roster roster moves are going to be made. We have not uh, CFC has not announced any any roster moves, and nor am I going to ask you to put uh, to to break any news on this podcast or whatever. All things have to happen in good time, uh, unless you want to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like in in kind of some generic. Uh, in, in some generic ways, what do you think uh, when you're maybe when you're looking at, at players to evaluate uh, to bring back next season or when you're looking for new players to come in uh, from from within the league without, you know, or from outside the league? What are you looking for uh, in terms of players for, for 2022? That can play football that are comfortable in the ball. They have to be comfortable with the ball. The goalkeeper through every single player has to be footballers. They if they're not footballers. They can't play in the team. They got to be footballers. Number one, they got to be comfortable and they got to want the ball. Okay, that's love at that. every position. Yeah. Uh, so TJ Moore, friend of the pod. Uh, everyone that asks questions is friend of the pod. Uh, also, <laughs> shout out TJ. Uh, hope you're feeling better, buddy. Yeah, man. Uh, he TJ asks uh, with your you know high pressure style on uh, ball dominant teams, how important is quality depth and how many players do you think? Uh, you want that that we should expect to see rotating through regularly. Uh, do you like? Yeah, you do, know, how, funny, I was just having that. Com- I was just having that conversation today, right? And I don't really have a number because here's the thing for me, right? Something that's non-negotiable is a player's fitness and a player's work rate. That's not even that's not even a discussion that we have because if you don't have that, you can't be part of the group. So. When I play players, 
I don't come into the game thinking we got to make a sub. Now, fair enough, we're in a stretch where we're three games in eight days or something, right? But in a general context, when, when you put a player on, when I put a player on, he's on for 90 minutes. That's 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 my mentality. All subs have to be tactical, something to yeah. change the game or a different yeah. piece or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Jim Hicks asks, uh, Jim Hicks is the is is one of the folks from the 423 soccer pod that I'm sure you'll have a chance to to, to meet and interact with pretty soon. Uh, he asks, what's the makeup of the rest of the coaching staff going to be? Uh, and are you the kind of coach that conducts training sessions yourself? Or do you like to delegate that to an assistant coach uh, so that you can observe a little bit more? Um, it's a combination. But my belief for me, coaching for me, everything starts and ends with leadership. So you need to empower your – you. most coaches don't want to – be the guy that's putting down cones and picking them up. You you hired them because they have knowledge and they have ability to influence and impact the team. So you have to let them work. For me personally, I like to do the the meat of the session, right? So let's say we do a warm up, we do some technical work, but the tactical side of it. But for instance, if we have a coach that's really a good defensive minded coach, I'm going to let that coach do the defending aspect of the team. Sort of like, I sort of categorize as football, right? As American football. You know, guys have their strengths. So let's let them use their strengths, right? You got an offensive coordinator in football. You got a wide receivers coach. I look, I look to make sure that I bring in guys that are better than me in areas. Because if they're not better than me, then how are we going to get better? And that's just, that's just, and to empower them to feel comfortable to express themselves in their way that influences the team. That's a good one. Uh, we have another one from Jim, and he says, what role do you see for yourself when it comes to the relationship with the academy? Look, the academy, I st- I, I've, I've been blessed enough to be involved in two big-time academies in America. I was involved in the founding of the Portland Timbers Academy, uh, and founders of the Sacramento Republic Academy. I, I Sacramento Republic Academy was I, I led that completely from from start to finish. And if you go back and look and see the number of players from Sacramento from 2015 to now, the number of players that are in the first team, or the number of players that have signed professional contracts, the founding what we talk about this football that was a football that I tried to impress upon and create for them. Portland Timbers Academy, same thing on the ground floor, help them get started. Look at the number of players that have gone on to play professionally, and the number is quite good. So I'm going to do as much as I can do to be involved because I believe that academies and grassroots soccer is the lifeblood of any club. Beautiful. Okay. Um, last last listener question we have. Uh, we, are, we are throwing a... This is from Shelly Ayers. Yeah, from Shelly Ayers, uh, also a friend of a Shout pod. out, Shelly. We are throwing a, a Chattel Hooligan holiday party on Saturday the 18th. And uh, if you happen to be in town, we'd love to invite you to come by, see people, hang out. Uh, and uh, that's an that's a open invitation for you. If you're not going to be in town... Uh, we want to we want to invite you to to something else uh, in January when, when you do arrive. Uh, so throwing that out there, are you are you when when do you think you're going to be in town uh, in, in Chattanooga or moving here or 
Yeah, sometime in January. Sometime in January, I'll be in. So we're trying to work, we're putting some things together for tryouts and combines and various things. So it's going to be before those things. So, you know, the 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 earlier part before the halfway point of January for sure, I'll be in town. Okay. Uh, well, we'll uh, we'll put something together uh, as as a supporters group and invite you to come join and 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 meet folks and you know, get started to you know life life with your new family in Chattanooga. Yes, looking forward to it. I can't wait. Oh, appreciate you so much coming on. This was been really awesome giving us some really good insight and really getting to know you because you'll you'll realize very quick through things like what he just invited to you you two sorry the Chattahooligans really do connect with the club all the way around from the foundation and the community aspect to the fan aspect to fo everything so it's it's a lot of people have been wanting to know more about you so i'm really glad that we could uh deliver some of that information and i'm looking forward to meeting you in person big time yeah thanks for having me guys and look i mean that's a big thing for me the you know the foundation of the club the you know the, the three the three arms of the foundation of the that the club uses that was like to be fair that was a tipping point to really say i really want to be there because that's like i'm a i'm a believer of that professional clubs professional sports have a chance to impact society the society that they live in in a positive manner and too many times they miss the boat and they need to be they need to not just be connected to it in in the community but they need to be part of it and living it and and helping it and influencing it in the right way man couldn't uh that's a that's a good way to go out right here yeah I right think, i think that's the end you will uh, you'll have to make an appearance in the podcast studio if you'd like um we'd love to have love you to. and yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll get to. down to some more nitty-gritty stuff in the future but until then we really appreciate you Appreciate you coming on, and we also appreciate everybody for um, listening. What we do at the end of every episode is we ask people where we can find them on social media. So, Coach, if anybody can wants to find you anywhere, where can they do that? Yeah, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter, Instagram. I think those are the ones I'm on. Yeah, I think those three, yeah. <laughs> if you're looking on Instagram, it's Rod underscore, underscore Underwood underscore. Uh, on Twitter, it's Cut Inside. Love and that name. I believe on Facebook, it's Rod.Underwood.7. What about you? You can find me on Instagram at I am Coniglio and on Twitter at Whiskey is Fine. You can find me on Twitter at J Buchanan or at the Section 109 Pod. You can catch me on that on Instagram as well. I also have my own Instagram at Letter J. And I am announcing now for the first time on the pod that I have a TikTok. You're not going to see me doing dances. But I got an FPV drone, and I've been doing some other drone work. I'm kind of building a company on the side now, um, and I put a lot of my stuff somewhere, and TikTok seems to be the new thing. So you can find me on TikTok at letter underscore J. And until the next time, we'll see you guys later.